This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. In the United States, eight states have passed legislation requiring middle schools and high schools, sometimes elementary schools, to offer free period products in the bathroom. Not the nurse's office, in the bathroom. And why that matters is if you think about what happens in the bathroom versus the nurse's office, bathrooms are for natural bodily functions. You go to the nurse's office when you're sick. Welcome to this bonus episode brought to you by MyoVance Sciences. Imagine not having access to menstrual products or being dismissed for heavy bleeding and pain. Menstrual health inequities still exist and they may be closer than you think. If you, your patients or loved ones are struggling or if you want to make a difference for those in need, this episode is for you. I'm joined by Michaela Bedard, the Executive Director of Period, and Claire Coder, founder of Auntflow. They are here with me to raise awareness and instill a sense of urgency about menstrual health equity and normalizing our conversations about menstrual health. Welcome to the FemPower Health Podcast. It is so nice to have the two of you here. I have been following you both for quite a long time and have really been impressed with your work. So why don't we start with you both introducing yourselves? So um, for everyone here, we have Michaela Bedard of Period, the menstrual movement, and Claire Coder of Aunt Flow. So Michaela, why don't you go first? Hi, Georgie. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to be with you and always nice to talk to Claire. Um, I'm Michaela Bedard. I'm executive director here at Period. Uh, Period is a nonprofit. Uh, We are in our seventh year, and I have been helping to lead the organization for a little over two years now. Uh, What Period does is help to eradicate period poverty and period stigma through three large nonprofit programs of service, education and advocacy. And we do this mainly through a global network of over 400 period chapters that are largely youth led that work to eradicate period poverty in their communities. Uh, And it's a joy to be able to work with young people to solve this unaddressed crisis in their lifetime. Absolutely. And it's sad that it's still a crisis um, today. And uh, thank you both for all of your efforts. So Claire, tell us about yourself. Definitely. Hello, I'm Claire Coder, the founder and CEO of Aunt Flow. And I started Aunt Flow six years ago in 2016 after getting my period in public and I didn't have a tampon or pad. And I looked around and I found a coin operated tampon and pad dispenser, um, you know, those archaic giant metal hunks. And I thought, wow, if toilet paper is offered for free in bathrooms, 
why aren't tampons and pads? So at Auntflow, our mission is to make the world better for people with periods. And we do that by installing our free vend tampon and pad dispensers and supplying them with our 100% organic cotton tampons and pads. Over the past six years, we've grown to stock thousands of bathrooms, ranging from all of Apple retail locations to Disney and uh, Google, all the way to middle schools, high schools, and universities. Um, and from a mission perspective, for every 10 tampons and pads that we sell, we donate one to an organization, period, is one of those organizations that supports menstruators in need. Delighted to be here. So... Let's start by understanding this full spectrum of menstrual health inequities and how they differ across race, gender, and socioeconomic statuses. That is the question that we grapple with every day in all of our work. Period poverty uh, is traditionally defined as the lack of access to menstrual products. And lack of access can mean lack of affordability, and literally lack of product in the areas around people. Period poverty can also be defined as a lack of menstrual health education and awareness, usually driven by historical stigma. The other thing to think about before I get further into defining what it is, is a lot of times when we say period poverty, what we really want to say is menstrual inequity. That is a mouthful for people that are new to this topic. But what we're going for is not just fighting period poverty, but a world where menstrual equity is prevalent. And that means that no one needs to miss out on life, work, joy, confidence, and dignity because of a natural need. Okay, so let's answer your question. What does menstrual equity mean and why do we need to fight for it? Period poverty and menstrual inequity is the result of millennia of periods not being mainstream. Historically, people in positions of power have not thought about menstruation because they didn't menstruate. So what does that mean for us? That means that period products are really hard to access if you are someone experiencing need. They're hard to buy, they're expensive, and they're often not free. So in this podcast today, I think we're going to talk about all of those issues. So let's just really quickly talk about like the terminology that we're going to go over, right? One of the main ways that people talk about menstrual products being too expensive is talking about the tampon tax. People also talk about the pink tax. Those are two different things. Um, so really quickly, we can go over what they are. The tampon tax is when menstrual products are taxed as luxury goods rather than essential supplies. Um, currently, um, over half of all United States have a luxury tax on menstrual products, um, which I know that Claire and other people in the business are working really hard to address. And here at Period, we are working really hard to overturn all of those policies. But there's also the pink tax. And the pink tax is kind of that overarching term that we use for female-centered products being more expensive to the consumer than their equivalent. Anything pink tends to be a little bit more expensive. All of that feeds into menstrual inequity, right? These products are more expensive and more inaccessible than they need to be. Um, and so when we talk about these inequities, what we really need to come up with is a shared idea of what normal should be. At period, we believe that period products should be as normal as toilet paper, like Claire said. So what does that look like in practice? 
Um, it, they should be available in places like schools um, because people who are experiencing poverty are historically and disproportionately people of color, um, people of non-cis genders, right? People who have experienced domestic violence, people are from historically marginalized communities. So when we talk about menstrual inequity, what we're really talking about is a symptom of gender injustice and economic injustice, right? This is a, one of the ways that it's played out. So this is something that should matter to people who care about income inequality and fighting poverty and fighting gender justice. This really isn't a fringe issue. Right. No, absolutely. And Claire, since you're one of the ones fighting to make sure there is more access, and I assume part of that is um, working with some of the government officials and some of the the state mandates, um, I'd love to hear from you maybe just so we have perspective, what are the common, I guess, objections or challenges that you may come up against? So OnFlow specifically focuses on legislation surrounding access to period products in middle schools, high schools, elementary schools, um, in addition to bathrooms outside of the home. In the United States, eight states have passed legislation requiring middle schools and high schools, sometimes elementary schools, to offer free period products in the bathroom, not the nurse's office, in the bathroom. And why that matters is if you think about what happens in the bathroom versus the nurse's office, bathrooms are for natural bodily functions. You go to the nurse's office when you're sick. Um, So what is that saying to our students when they have to go all the way to the nurse's office to get a period product? Um, So when we think about our our focus and advocacy, we're really thinking about how can we increase access to period products when they're needed? AKA when you get your period unexpectedly in public and don't have access to a period product. Um, When we work with schools and when we work with businesses, the primary objection that we receive is, well, if you offer it for free, aren't people just going to steal them? Aren't people just going to load up on tampons and pads? And we really ask folks, what other products are you offering for free to your employees, students, and guests? You're offering soap, you're offering toilet paper, you're offering water. Many companies are offering kombucha and ping pong tables. So why are we not offering the basic necessities? And at the end of the day, implementing free, freely accessible period products is a low cost, high impact way to reach folks in need. Um, and it's not that expensive. For a school, it is on average $5 per female student per year to implement freely accessible period products in bathrooms across K through 12 schools across the United States. Um, But that is one of the primary objections that we receive when thinking about access to period products for free in bathrooms, just like toilet paper. Oh my gosh, I feel like we could do an entire episode just on that that, that, uh, subtopic. In addition to these inequities, you know, uh, on this FemPower Health podcast, I've interviewed over 80 women's health experts, and I've spoken to countless women. And, you know, this is doctors as well, male doctors, um, not just female doctors and not just women. So I, I say that because it, I think, lends credibility to an acknowledgement of the challenges. But, but the other piece is what is normal? Because one of the things that 
I've really seen is because so many of these things have been normalized, not just in accessibility, but also information. And so, you know, moms, grandmas, doctors are saying, oh, that's fine. That's normal. And a lot of it is lack of data, the lack of understanding. And because we don't understand what our bodies are like, we think whatever's happening is normal. So if it happens to our kids, we're like, it's normal. That's just what happens in our family. So we hear a lot of that. I'd love to hear what what the experiences are in even that understanding of what normal is, even if you have access to these products. I love this question, Georgie. You know, what, sometimes the the cost of normalization means further stigma. It's something that maybe, you know, only girls talk about with an aunt or they only talk about to each other or their medical professional says, that's fine. That's just normal. That's just how you are. When things stay hush-hush and that term normal is used, it sounds like a dismissal, right? Oh, your heavy bleeding is normal. Oh, I didn't have period products in school when I was a kid either. Oh, I wasn't able to talk to my healthcare professional or my dad about it either. And so that's normal. But what normal means is a furthering of this stigma. We need to start talking really loudly and clearly about menstruation. We're talking a week a month for like 30 years of your life. This is a major part of life. This is a major part of families. This is a major part of student and workplace culture. And so this whole normal thing needs to be completely turned upside down, right? And so we're not just talking about the inability to talk about menstruation, but it's also managing healthcare, right? What if you have really heavy bleeding and really heavy pain and someone has just told you that's normal and then you're not equipped, right? with the language and education that you need to advocate for yourself to be treated. So I know that we're, it seems like we're talking about a slightly different tangent here when we're talking about things like pain and heavy bleeding, um, but it's actually the same thing as lack of access to products in public places and schools, right? It's this kind of antiquated notion that periods shouldn't be talked about in places other than your own bathroom or your own home. That's just not the truth anymore. And there is a new generation of young people that aren't going to stand for that. (laughs) And one of my main joys in life is giving them a platform to talk about this. It's really a culture change. Like maybe your heavy bleeding is abnormal. Maybe it's crazy that you can't access products at your workplace or your school or your community center or your library, maybe that shouldn't be normal. Um, And so this normalization, yes, I think is disproportionate um, among black people who menstruate and people of color. And so because normal can vary between women, we need to change that conversation. No, absolutely. Why do you think it varies more so in non-white women? Well, Medical racism is a short answer for that, Um, but I think historically um, black women's pain and health experiences have not been taken seriously. Uh, And so because of that, there hasn't been the education and the Mm self-advocacy needed um, for people to be able to tell their stories truly and fully. Um, And this is all under the umbrella of stigma. Yep. Yeah, Georgie, from, from our lens, working with facilities managers, oftentimes Aunt Flo is asked, if periods happen once a month, don't you just know that you're going to get it? Why do we need to offer period products in a bathroom if you know that it is coming? And when we talk about normal, we know that the average length of a menstrual cycle is 28 days, but can range between 21 to 35 days. And the duration of menstrual flow 
is between four to six days. But the normal range in a woman can be as little as two days up to eight days. And so when we get asked from our facilities managers, well, you have it every month, you should just know that it's coming. Um, that is continuing and perpetuating the um, stigma around menstruation of all menstruation is normal, all menstruation is the same. And as a woman who's menstruating, um, you have the resources to know every single month when it's coming. And, and the truth is, is it ranges from person to person, from cycle to cycle. Um, and that is why it is so important to think about what is normal um, and what is abnormal. You know, when we think about the amount of flow one should have, I could also see being in that bathroom and let's say you didn't pack enough if you happen to have a ridiculously heavy flow because something unexpected happened to you that month or you typically have a heavy flow and you know, but you've been told it's normal and you happen to not pack enough supplies. So um, who would like to educate us on the typical flow one should have? It is normal and it is acceptable to use a tampon for four hours and change the tampon every four hours or change the pad every four hours. If you're using a menstrual cup, it is recommended to change every 12 hours, um, wash, sanitize, and reinsert every 12 hours. Um, so when you think about off offering free period products in a facility or workplace, it is critical because you might need to come uh, packing six tampons to or six pads um, for a given day. And you might only have packed two. Um, so that's what we think about when we consider access and um, ensuring that an employee or a team member has everything that they need to be successful while they're working. Absolutely. And, you know, even if um, you pack what you typically need, you may have something going on that month where you're flowing even more um, and always need that backup. Um, but now that we know what normal is, that's hopefully if anyone is uh, having to change things more often, that is a clue that they probably should go see their doctor. So thanks for educating us on that. You know, today, Femtech is all over the news. Um, you know, we there's so many products out there that are focusing on women. Social media is talking about women's health, and we're using the terms period and all the other words that used to be taboo. So why are we still dealing with all this inequity? You know, I think, Georgie, one of the things that we say at period is that um, policy follows culture. We're starting to see culture change in what you're talking about, right? We're starting to see social media deal with menstruation, starting to see more femtech companies pop up. Um, we're seeing Claire's Aunt Flow Company be successful. We're seeing hundreds of period chapters um, be formed every year. Um, but the policy implications haven't really caught up yet. They're just starting to. So it may seem like it's a whole new world and we're busting stigma, but I can tell you what it's like to sit in front of a state legislature made up of mostly um, white men uh, of an older generation than me turning bright red and not being able to hear me talk about periods. This is a story that is not just mine. This is common of many of the youth activists. Uh, that work for period um, and that advocate for menstrual equity with period. Uh, so we're still seeing this uh, in a deeply systemic place. And so this culture change needs to be followed by policy change. The policy change needs to reflect mandates for period products everywhere um, and needs to mandate period products be more affordable. Uh, and those are two areas that the law really needs to follow. 
you know, also one of the things is important to mention just to, to amplify Clara's good work is when we talk about policy change, we don't only mean legal change. Policy change can be in the HR department of a large company. Uh, policy change can be the facilities of a university campus. So maybe even before a mandate has come down, they're deciding to do this because they care about equity in the workplace. Um, so I think you're right that we're starting to see it, but we have a long way to go. Uh, period works in both drafting policy, passing policy, and then implementing it in states, um, both in terms of repealing the tampon tax and mandating it in schools. There are roadblocks and hurdles everywhere. This is a really tough thing to get past, and a lot of concessions need to be made all the time to get these bills through. Uh, I can't tell you how difficult it is to put the word menstruation or periods uh, in a in a bill in front of a state legislature. Um, you know, some states are much more open to it than others, but it's still definitely an uphill battle. But I, I am encouraged by everything what you're saying, um, that there is so much culture change happening. But now let's follow it up with some real systemic change uh, to make sure that the people in positions of power don't think of this as a fringe issue. Yeah, no, absolutely. Claire, anything to add to that? I think some of the challenge, though, is sometimes we don't know that we're even still perpetuating the stigma. Um, when we, every time we put a tampon or pad up our sleeve and scurry to the bathroom and don't let our coworkers see that we're menstruating, that's perpetuating the stigma. Sometimes these concepts are so ingrained in the way that we have always done things um, that it is hard to move forward. What is exciting though, is we don't have to do things the way we've always done them. And at Flow, that is really what we're focused on. Yes, for centuries, businesses and schools were charging quarters for tampons and pads, but it doesn't always have to be that way. And so when we think about both the culture change and the policy change, um, the question is, does it have to be the way that it was before? And oftentimes it's no. Um, and that's where we get a lot of excitement, I think, across all of our organizations here, right? We get, Georgia, we have a whole podcast dedicated to female health um, and well health in general, which is so exciting um, and really indicates that there's um, some great progress um, in across the category. No, absolutely. And and I, I'm glad that I asked this question and I appreciate your statements because, and again, because I focus so much on women's health. Everything I'm reading and, and you know, with a search engine optimization with Google, I keep hearing about, you know, everyone who's been raising money, um, like Claire, congratulations to Aunt Flo for your recent raise. And, um, you know, Femtech is all over the news. But I will say when I have the one-on-one -on -one conversations and the, these intimate discussions, you know, it's, it's really, yes, change is happening. But the amount of work to get even these little changes is incredible and so we still have a long way to go and so I, I think you know the message here is let's not all be fooled by the positive media um, it doesn't mean we're done it just means we're finally being heard and now the work needs to continue for the most part folks who are engaged in femtech um, in a position to change policy they're people of privilege uh, there is a large swath of the U.S. and the world for whom these solutions do not reach and will not for quite a while. And that's why the policy change is so important. Uh, we need to make policy change so that those disproportionately affected by menstrual inequity can find solutions right away. Um, it is a sad state of affairs when in the United States you cannot use SNAP or WIC programming to purchase menstrual supplies. 
if you are living in poverty, and especially if you are living in deep poverty in the United States, you do not have a way to access menstrual products with your public benefits. So when we're talking about femtech investment and Google search optimizations, that's great and it's a sign of hope. But when we're talking about folks that are most in need, that is a world away. And so I want to always center those who are disproportionately affected by menstrual inequity, period poverty in my work, um, because advocating for them will make sure that we're actually making systemic change, right? We need to make systemic change with education and policy in order to truly solve this crisis in our lifetime um, and then ensure that at every stage in life, there is menstrual equity. So from school to workplace, to other professional opportunities, community places, that they're able to talk about menstruation and access the products they need. These are deeper systemic issues, but they're not intractable. I do think they're solvable. Right. So let's talk about what actions people can take. You know, there's those who are struggling. There's the general population who wants to help, there's companies, and then there's healthcare professionals and probably others. So I don't know if we want to take those one by one um, or if you want to just holistically address that. For sure. Um, so I can tackle what anyone who's listening on this podcast can do today, um, which is observe around the world what bathrooms are offering free period products in, in uh, bathrooms outside of the home and which are not. If you see a bathroom or if you're experiencing a bathroom that is offering free period products outside of the home, take the extra minute and say thank you. Because periods are not talked about, oftentimes organizations that are taking this step to offer free period products never hear positive feedback because nobody wants to go to their facilities manager and say, oh my gosh, I noticed you have free period products. Thank you so much because we're so ashamed to talk about it. And so one ask is if you do see period products for free in a bathroom outside of the home, give the general manager, the facilities manager, the front desk person a high five and thank them. Um, and if you are at your organization, if you're, if you're at your school or if you're at your work and there aren't free period products, in the bathroom, you have the power to make the change. And what that change can look like is talking to your facilities manager, your head of people, your head of HR. Um, for schools, it can be your principal, the superintendent. Um, and period has incredible resources as well on advocacy, both from a legislation perspective as well as a school perspective on how you can advocate to offer free period products at your workplace, at your school, at your favorite restaurant, local gym, um, and organizations as well. Thank you, Claire. Michaela, what about you? Well, everything Claire said, you know, and then in addition to that, I think we can talk about self-advocacy, right? So how can we work to eradicate shame and stigma in our own selves? How can we start talking more about our own periods, um, educate ourselves and the people immediately around us about periods. Some of it is kind of that language that we talked about at the beginning of the episode and understanding how to talk about it. Um, period co-authored a glossary earlier this year um, called the Glossary for the Global Menstrual Movement. And it's filled with over 60 terms, basic terminology about periods, menstruation, menstrual equity, what this means. I think if you have a period or know someone with a period, you should take a look at some of that language and make sure that you are facile with it so that you have kind of that self-advocacy around this. Because the more we talk about it, the more it will benefit 
everybody, and it will benefit people who are in need, who are struggling, either with health or lack of access to product, because then they're more likely to advocate for what they need if everyone around them is using some of that shared language. And then I would say, in addition to that, let's work to equip and train people with periods to advocate for their communities and the institutions, like Claire said, but also when it comes to policies. Take a look around them. Are period products affordable? And are they accessible? And how can they get involved to advocate for that? Um, so it might mean getting involved in a very specific piece of legislation, but it might involve just generally talking about it, joining the menstrual equity movement, um, which is what we call this um, army of activists around the world trying to normalize uh, this work. Get involved. Um, go to period.org, go to Aunt Flo's website, um, and get yourself engaged in a really robust and exciting community um, that are working to equip and train themselves and others around them to do this work. Um, this has been such a great, fascinating conversation. And it's it's great to have both of your perspectives because I think you come at it for, with the same goal, but from different aspects of who you all are collaborating with, but also with each other. Um, so I truly, truly thank you um, for your time on this. So I'd like to end by asking, if you could wave your magic wand, what is the one thing that needs to happen to create a world of, quote unquote, perfect menstrual health equity? Oh, Georgie, this is so fun. I'm going to put on my tampon tiara and wave around my magic tampon and believe that there will be a day where no one has to worry about getting their period in public because every bathroom outside of the home will offer freely accessible period products, increasing access for everyone everywhere. What about you, Michaela? I love that, Claire. I'm going to borrow your tampon tiara, and I'm going to say that paired with free and accessible products needs to be menstrual health education. Um, in a perfect world for me, next to that dispenser or wherever those period products are, there is a piece of education that can tell people about why they need this, what this is for the non-menstruator seeing this, what this is about. I think that would really help people when they are newly menstruating to understand their bodies, understand that this is normal, it's beautiful, it's going to be with them for decades, and the better they can own it and advocate for themselves, the more healthy that they and their communities will be. This education is critical to empowering people over their bodies, their own body literacy. It has tremendous health outcomes and safety outcomes when we can teach people about menstruation early on. I would love to see that everywhere. You know what I would add to this? As the trifecta is um, giving that education to the parents as well and having some sort of a guide on how to talk to your doctor if you do have issues and concerns. So that is what I would add to, to those pieces. But what a great trifecta of holistic information that's needed. And I think the bottom line is it's information and we do still need it and we can't forget that. Thank you for joining us today. If you liked today's episode, please rate it and write a review where you listen to this podcast. It helps make sure other women see this episode. You can also follow FemPower Health on Instagram at FemPowerHealth. If you would like to learn more about the efforts of Period and Aunt Flo, please check out my show notes for information about them and other references made in the podcast. As a reminder, the information discussed on the FemPower Health podcast is for information purposes only. 
Always go to the doctor of your choosing for information that is relevant to your specific medical condition. Additionally, the views expressed by my guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent, nor does it constitute an endorsement by Myovance Sciences of this episode.